Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us today, that you would challenge us today, that you would help us become more aware of you and your presence in our world and in our community and in our lives. And as we become more aware of that, we pray that you would help us to enter into your story better. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. At the end of uh, Tolkien's book, The Hobbit, after all the adventures, after everything has been put to rights, not to give away the end or anything, uh, a few of them are sitting around a table, and one of them is recounting how things ended up. The new master is of a wiser kind, said Balin, and very popular, for of course he gets most of the credit for the present prosperity. They are making songs which say that in his day the rivers run with gold. Then the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true after a fashion, said Bilbo. Of course, said Gandalf, and why should not they prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck, just for your benefit. You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Thank goodness, said Bilbo, laughing. I wonder, sometimes, do we make the same mistake as Bilbo, thinking that it's all up to us or thinking that the story is all about us? Do we sometimes lose sight of God's much bigger story? And to Gandalf's point, that's not to say that we don't matter or move the plot along or help the very prophecies to be realized. But maybe it's also important to remember that it's not our story being told in the first place. In fact, I wonder if it might be helpful to see ourselves as fine little people in a much wider world after all, even as we are very fond of you. Alas, our tendency, and our culture only makes this worse, is to always assume that we are the main character of all the stories. And all of the stories end up being all about us. And we do this not just in life, but in faith. If I were to ask you the story of salvation, the story of faith, the story of the gospel, after placing some initial pieces and probably mentioning Jesus at least once, our telling would then quickly focus the whole story back on us. You might say something like, well, God started the world and then we sinned, and God sent Jesus to us, and Jesus did His thing so that I can be saved, so that I can be forgiven, so that I can be healed, so that I can go to heaven. And you'll notice this, this much larger story suddenly ends up being focused solely on me. And like I've been saying all along in this series, it's not that that's bad or wrong, it's just so small. Why does our story of the gospel, or salvation for that matter, always start and end and focus on us? What if God is trying to tell a bigger story, a broader story, a better story than that? What would it look like to live into that bigger story instead of 
kind of the small stories that we tell. I wonder, would our world make more sense? Would we experience more peace and joy? Would our lives be more full because they're a part of God's much better story? Which brings us back to our series. In our fall series, we're working to recognize that a lot of what we've come to understand as the gospel or salvation or even faith has simply become too small. We've we've made the good news a transaction, which isn't actually news. We've boiled everything down to saying a prayer or receiving Jesus or coming to Christ or a personal relationship, which again sound more like actions that need to be taken rather than graces that have been given, which, which make the faith all about us as individuals instead of about a good God, which again may not change us as much as we need to be changed. <clears throat> Never mind that these aren't the ways that Jesus talked about the faith or following. And again, to be clear, it's not that any of those things are bad or wrong, it's just that they're too small. And in that, they may be leading us to the wrong story. Which brings us really to our work of the day. <clears throat> Today, I want us to read the whole Bible. <clears throat> it's going to take a little longer than normal. Um, we'll fast forward a couple of the parts, not too many though, um, because I want to get you a glimpse of this bigger story that God is telling. Sometimes when we jump around and we grab a verse here or a passage here, you lose sight of the, the scope of the story. And so I want us to try and spend a little more time today on that scope so that we can see what is this good news that God is telling. And so we will start, as all good things do in Genesis, in the beginning, and then we're going to read a bunch of passages today and try and figure out what is this bigger story that God is telling and how might we live in it. So we begin today in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I told you we were starting at the beginning. Uh, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a good start to our story. Uh, notice there's a main character. So far, the main character is God. The setting of our story is the heavens and the earth that God just created. Let's go a few verses later into chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Our story has more characters now. But, but the main character is still God in this story, especially as these new characters are made in the very image of God. A few verses later, we would read that God looked at it all and said, this is very good. What a great story. And we're still only in the first chapter. Um, alas, the story kind of takes a turn, as many stories do, uh, because it turns out there's some people that start to try and live in a different story than the one that God is telling. And so let's pick up the story now in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig weeds together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid 
from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That's a telling verse. It's one of the strange and very good things about God's story is that people have a choice about which story they want to live in. Adam and Eve can continue to live in God's good story, or they can choose their own. If they keep living in God's story, they can keep walking with God in the cool of the day, living in the Garden of Eden. They can continue to be with God. Alas, they and we too often choose our own story. They eat of the no-no tree because they believe that they can tell a better story, because they think that they are the point of the story, because they assume that they know best, which ends up working out for the worst, which is what happens when we live in our own story. And in some ways, we've been hiding from God ever since. We see this over and over again in the Scriptures. But let's fast forward a bit and see both this happen again, and let's see what God does. God has told the people to go out, fill the earth, subdue it. And so let's turn to Genesis 11, 1 through 5. It reads, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And not to give away the end, but... The Lord confuses their languages and scatters them back out, gets them back on mission. Remember, they were told, go out, fill the earth, subdue it, and they concluded, let's not do that. Let's come together and build a tower and see if we can get ourselves up there to God. We've got some things to say to Him. Notice in this passage, the story they were living was trying to go up to God, to be their own master of their own story. But in God's story, He still has to come all the way down just to see what they're doing. And because this is God's story, He thwarts their little wrong plans and gets them back out on a better story. He is here. He is among them. He has told them what to do. Alas, they don't believe it, or they don't see it, or they don't want to follow. And in that, they're missing out on God's story. Well, the story keeps going. In fact, it's the very next chapter, we come to someone who does a better job of recognizing God's story. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 
we notice how much Abraham's story doesn't make any sense when not a part of God's larger story. Abraham shouldn't be leaving Haran. He definitely shouldn't have left Ur. And where is he going after all? He's going to a land I will show you. Where's that becomes the obvious question. This, this story doesn't make any sense except that Abraham is aware of God's story, where God is present, where God is faithful, where God does call and covenant, and where God is at work blessing not just Abraham, but all of the nations through Abraham. This is the story that Abraham sees. This is the story that Abraham chooses to live out. The story goes on. Abraham's grandkid, Jacob, comes along, realizes that God is present even when he didn't know it. He finally comes to realize the goodness of God's story, even though he has to wrestle with God a little bit to finally believe it. His son Joseph is taken into Egypt, a prisoner. And to anyone unaware of God's story, this is a terrible story. It's not a good story. And yet for Joseph, he sees God's story. And so he sees the hand of God at work everywhere. Joseph sees God's presence and faithfulness everywhere, and Joseph ends up partnering with God to save all of Egypt and the surrounding nations from a severe famine, because Joseph sees God's story. Fast forward the story, maybe a hundred years or one book of the Bible, uh, brings us to Moses. In the meantime, the family of God has been in Egypt for a while. They've become slaves now in Egypt, but God's not done with the story. I could read you the whole book of Exodus, but instead there's this great little recap in the book of Hebrews. So we're going to fast forward all the way to the end of the book, to Hebrews, to read about Moses at the beginning of the book. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now, what's interesting here is that we can see some different stories that we would tell even if they end up still a bit small. I mean, Moses grows up in the palace. He could just live there. That would be the story I would tell. If I was Moses, if I was watching this story from the outside, he could live there with all the trappings and privileges, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That story makes sense to us. That's the story the world would tell. That's a good story, or it seems that way. But Moses sees a different story. He sees that God is present, that God is active, and that God is working to set his people free. And Moses somehow steps into that different story, into that changed reality. 
which again, shouldn't make any sense. From the outside, God's story, He goes from power and privilege to a guy wandering in the desert with a ragtag group of former slaves. But as a part of God's story, Moses helps rescue the people. He shepherds them through the wilderness as they follow God. He brings the laws of God to humanity. He points them and sees the promised land, and ultimately Moses talks face to face with God. That's a different kind of story than the one we would tell. Fast forward the story again. We could come to a time of kings. Two kings in particular we'll look at today. Both are chosen by God. Both are called by God. Both are crowned by God. Both anointed by God. But while the second one lives in God's story, the first one just has trouble seeing it. And he chooses instead to live in his own story. The first king is Saul. He does a lot of good for the nation, but he always seems to be struggling against the current. He always seems like he's just holding on. He, he always seems more concerned with himself, with his own image, with his own status, with his own reputation. And in that, he always seems like he's fighting against God's story. When you read about Saul, it always seems like, like he's missing something. He's missing out on something. The second king is David. And in utter contrast to Saul, he always seems like he's living in God's bigger story. Where God is always present. Where God is always at work in the world all around him. And in that story, giants don't feature very prominently. Nor do kings or nations or Philistines. And it's David. There is that one incident where he lost sight of God's story. In the time that kings go off to war, he was standing on a roof where he shouldn't have been, when he shouldn't have been, doing what he shouldn't have been doing. And he chose for a moment, for a while, to live in a different story. And the repercussions are extensive and glaring. But in many ways, that, that exception proves the rule. Because God's story is better. Because God is here, and, and when, when David loses sight of that, the story kind of, it, it, kind of it, it doesn't go the right way. And after that, he enters back into God's story, and it, it all changes again. I'm going to fast forward a whole bunch now, because otherwise we're going to be here until this afternoon. We're going to go all the way to the New Testament, where we will find that not much has changed in God's story. Because God is still telling this bigger story, now with a little bit of a flourish. God, God uh, yeah, he, he takes it to the next level here. Uh, God has always been moving toward us. God has always been active among us. God has always been working through us. But now come, God comes more, more physically, more practically, more personally in the person of Jesus. <clears throat> and notice how well this fits with everything that God has been doing all along, trying to help us recognize His presence in His world as He tells His story. And so Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come near. He says, come, follow me. In other words, let me show you what it looks like to live as if God is present and near because He is. Let me show you what it looks like to experience God's love and life and eternity to the full right now. 
Let me show you what it looks like to live in God's story. Which, by the way, is what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship. Which is what we talk about when we say living in the kingdom of God here and now. That's good news. But do you start to see how much bigger this story is, this gospel is, than just us getting our ticket to heaven? You see how that starts to feel small? God is telling this huge story about the world and about God and about God's love and about God coming to us, and somehow we just grab this one little part and say, and therefore the whole point is so I can go to heaven. Yes, but you're missing the story. And it's such a better story than that because it helps us know who God is. Story's not done yet. After the resurrection, after the ascension, we come to Pentecost where God just blows the door off the place. God takes that Tower of Babel story we talked about just a minute ago. He flips it upside down which is often how God's story works. Remember, Tower of Babel, they were trying to go up to God, to be like God, to be, to be God, and God has to scatter them, mix up their languages so that they will go get back on mission. Here's what happens a couple thousand years later. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Do you see it? In God's story, He takes this frightened group of inward-facing, grieving disciples, and then He just pours Himself into them, so much so that it starts bursting out of them in blessing. And then He gives them other languages so that they can get back out on mission, so that they can share the blessing to the scattered peoples of the world, bringing God's life with them, bringing God's love with them, bringing God's story back to them which is kind of the birth of the church, a blessed to be a blessing, outward-facing, God-following, kingdom community, striving to live God's story, and then extending that same story to others. It's who we are. It's what we're about. Let's do one more. We'll keep going because God's not done yet. We'll look at kind of a case study now. Again, trying to see God's larger story of God coming to us. Once upon a time, there was a guy named Saul. Actually, it's easier to read it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, this is different, by the way, stop. This, this is different from the other Saul. This is New Testament Saul. There's an Old Testament Saul. Just telling the whole story, you got to be clear. Uh, many thousands of years later. Verse 1, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. 
I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Fast forward all the way to verse 17. Verse 17 then reads, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So there Saul is doing his own thing, trying to be faithful, trying to earn God's acceptance and approval so that he can be near God because he lives in a world where God is far. God is far and distant, and so he has to earn his way closer to God. And then through no good deed, no prayer, no coming to Jesus, no acceptance on his part, God comes to him, knocks him off his horse, and then God sends a disciple to bless him, and then everything changes for Saul because he is swept up into this new and bigger and better story. It's probably telling that something like scales fell from Saul's eyes because, of course, there was this bigger story being told all around him. He just, he just couldn't see it. He just wasn't looking for it. But God comes and literally opens up his eyes to a different and better story. And that's God's story always coming to us, always wanting to be with us, always loving us, and always calling us to join Him in His work, in His world, in His story. And He still does. This is the good news, by the way, that God shows His love to us by sacrificing for our good and for the good of the world. This is the good news. The king and the kingdom have drawn near, which is what, by the way, Jesus says all the time. The good news is that the kingdom of God has come near. The good news is that God calls us into this different kind of story. And that's not to say that everything is always going to work out the way we want it to. And that's not to say that everyone will accept or believe or live in this new story. But it is to say that the good news is that we can now come to know God better because God is here. It is to say that eternal life, knowing God, is now and it's abundant. It is to say that God is still telling His story. And that's the story He invites us to live in. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes we are too much like those people at the Tower of Babel, and we, we want to make a tower, and, and we want to be our own God. Sometimes we're a little too much like Adam and Eve, and we, we want to tell our own story. Sometimes we get so focused, like Saul, on our, on our own story that we lose sight of what you're doing, or we, we forget that you are near. And yet, Lord, you consistently tell the same story. The good news that you have come to us, that you want to be with us, that you are here. And so, Lord God, we, we pray that like Saul, Paul, 
at the end here that you would open up our eyes, that we might see this better story being told all around us, that you would help us to live in that story, that we would become more like Abraham and Joseph and David and the so many other fathers and mothers of the faith that saw and lived your story. Or that's, that seems like it's harder now because of how much our world wants us to tell a different story. And yet we recognize how much our world needs this story. And so call us to be your church together, your people together, as we live and tell your story. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ who showed us how to live this story. We pray these things in His name. Amen.